Welcome to the Rise of the Challenge podcast. Joining me today, he's a TEDx speaker, author, podcast host. It's Miles Biggs. How are you doing today, Miles? Doing awesome. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us on the Rise of the Challenge. We're excited to learn more about your journey. And what we like to do with all of our guests is go right to the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what we're involved in growing up. Sure. So it's funny. I have, uh, this is a side note, but I do a show with a guy and he has people to give their life story from birth to now in five minutes. Oh my goodness. So when you said right to the beginning, my mind goes to my friend Dave and he says birth to now and people look at him like, I have to go to the hospital. What's going on? <laughs> but so going back, right. I, uh, originally grew up in New Jersey, uh, lived like really right near the beach in New Jersey, near Long Beach Island. If folks are familiar with that. And in middle school, uh, like end of elementary school, beginning of middle school, we moved to Pennsylvania. So spent most of my childhood in the Lehigh Valley area of Pennsylvania in a town called Easton, PA. And then uh, from there came out here where I live now in central Pennsylvania uh, to college and never left. I'm still here in central PA. So good. You're going to ask something. What's the biggest thing or the biggest differences between living in New Jersey and living in Pennsylvania? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think it was like fourth grade when we moved. So don't have a huge, uh, a huge bulk of life experience, but I remember a big thing for me was being very near the ocean. You know, we go to the beach all the time. We'd be swimming in the ocean, all that as a kid growing up. And then I come to Pennsylvania and we're landlocked and, uh, there is no water, but oddly enough, I got into competitive swimming. Then I think, you know, it was my way to get to the water and I ended up competitive swimming from age eight all the way through college. So, uh, I found my ocean, my chlorinated ocean <laughs> after we moved. Was there any moment that you saw that you had a talent for competitive swimming that brought you to participate in that sport? Absolutely not. I was horrible at it. Um, I was absolutely horrible at it. When I was growing up, I was the chubby kid with glasses and asthma and virtually no athletic ability, uh, asthma attacks all the time. And I got totally conned into joining the swim team by one of my now very good friends. He, he was a groomsman at my wedding. I've known him since I was eight years old. His mom was trying to recruit me for the swim team because they needed more guys in the age group that I was in. There wasn't a lot of kids on the team. So she had him lose a race to me on purpose uh, so that I felt like I was, you know, I was excited and would want to swim. And I found out after I quote unquote won my race with him that he was like the star of the swim team. He had a swimming scholarship to Penn state later in life. So like super fast swimmer. And he totally, you know, lied and made me think I was awesome. And I showed up and was man, hoofing it every single day, but I just never gave up, you know, like the name rise to the challenge, right? I saw it as a challenge. I liked the challenge of swimming that you really are only competing against yourself, you know, trying to get that time faster. You're, you're trying to beat your own best, best time. And there's a great social aspect to it. And all my friends did it. So I just kept showing up and doing it. And eventually one day I didn't suck anymore, <laughs> you know, but it did not come naturally at all. When you found out that your friend was lying and all that, what was that mindset? Were you nervous that maybe I won't make the team anymore or I won't be used since he was the star at the time? No, because literally at the time, then this is a summer league team. So it wasn't like any high pressure stuff. 
I think there were only two people in my age bracket. So like I was guaranteed a, a spot in the pool. Uh, and it was just kind of like an oh crap moment. Like this is a lot harder than I thought. And you know, we grew up swimming in the ocean. For me, my head was out of the water all the time. You can't see the bottom of the ocean, right? And not at least not in New Jersey. So it was like relearning then. I thought I was good at swimming like open water, but then swimming in a pool with your head down, breathing, flip turns, you know, the whole thing. Uh, it was just a whole nother ball game, but I loved it. It was fun. It was a really great outlet and I'm happy it happened. Growing up, did you have any inspirations or someone that motivated you? Sure. Oh yeah, sure. Uh, my coach isn't swimming all the time, right? I found I've had people in my life that have seen things in me that I didn't see. Right. And so they sort of believe it more than I believe it or want it more than I want it at first. And then they sort of hype me up. Right. So I've had a, had a couple of swim coaches like that. Um, also a big one for me has always been my grandfather on my mom's side. I'm named after him. So growing up, he didn't have any daughters. He didn't, sorry, he didn't have sons. He only had daughters. And so I was the first, male grandchild and I got his name. So growing up, he made a big deal about it. It was, you know, his arm around me all the time, showing me off to anybody who would listen about how his namesake. And so I just always wanted to make him proud and emulate him. And he's done a lot of cool things in his life. And so definitely looked up to him and always wanted to make him proud. And, you know, definitely a big motivator for me. Is there something that your coach or your grandfather told you that you used today? Yeah, there was one coach that I had, um, well, a couple. So it's funny, like these, the random moments that if you told them these moments, they'd be like, what the hell? That's, that's nothing, right? But I had a coach in high school, high school swimming, and he would always just say, don't punk out. That was his phrase. Uh, so a little bit morbid and slightly ironic. He ended up killing himself. So he punked out, which is a weird thing in high school. You look up to this guy and he's saying, telling you don't punk out all the time. Right. And then he committed suicide. And that was an odd thing and a lesson there, right. Where, uh, about these people we look up to and everybody's got their stuff going on, right. That nobody's perfect. And unfortunately, uh, we lost him to that, but it's such a simple phrase, right. Don't punk out. Stuff gets hard. You're not the best. Don't punk out. And by not punking out, eventually I got better at it, right? Like we said, I wasn't great at first and then I ended up swimming in college. Um, so it, I did punk out and something came of it. And then I remember another coach I had in uh, in summer league. And so if anybody's listening and swimming, summer league is like the, the fun league. Like this is like the recreational social swim club that you go to and you have swim meets. People are learning how to swim. It's really not any high stakes. It's not USA swimming. It's just like, if you're going to have a backyard football team, this is like the version of that. You, you do it for fun in the summer. But this coach, he was a former Penn State swimmer, really energetic guy. Uh, his name is Mr. Del Franco. If he ever listens to this, what's up, Mr. Del Franco? We had a relay and he was getting us all hyped up beforehand. And we were going to break a record. And he just kept telling us and think, to think about being immortal. Like you'll be remembered forever. You'll be the first group to go below this time and blah, blah, blah. And that stuck to me for weird reasons. Um, I was really pumped up. We ended up breaking the record and that was exciting. But just I think that idea of being immortal, like when you do something somebody else hasn't done, that you'll be remembered for that thing. And that idea of legacy kind of carries through. And I draw on that sometimes when I'm 
embarking on some things that nobody that I've known has done before. Like you mentioned, Ted talk book, the podcast stuff, right. Uh, does make me immortal, but like in my group of people, like people don't forget that now. Right. Uh, so I've still kind of pulled on that. And again, just seeing how excited somebody else was for something you're about to do, it gets you excited uh, and makes makes me want to be that person for somebody else now, right? To see something in somebody they don't see in themselves and get them motivated to go out there and you know achieve their own version of uh, immortality. I like that. Using that word immortal, because I know with my group of friends, we're always trying to do something that no one has done, but in a positive way to show right. people that we can do it in a in any capability. And I think a lot of people look at that and they might think, well, I just need to become famous. Oh, I need to become a celebrity. I need to do this. I need to have this high status, but you could be someone that doesn't have that and be remembered by the people that you work with or your friends or your school. And that just should be an accomplishment for you. And you should be proud of anything that you do and accomplish. And kind of, you talked about it with breaking that record people may not remember you, but you can have that kind of accomplishment in your mind and that confidence that you can do anything that you want. Right. Yeah. It's interesting, right? You say celebrity, everybody's famous to somebody these days, right? With the power of the internet, uh, you can be famous to a very small group of people uh, and have that celebrity. It's not like you have to be a viral sensation or be up on the big screen today. Uh, it's, it's got a whole new meeting with doing the stuff like we're doing right now, right? Somebody's going to watch this. You and I are famous to somebody right now. Uh, it's just how the world works. Growing up, did you have that dream job that you wanted? Not really. No, I, I yeah, it's funny. Uh, I even chose my college major uh, by the amount of math I had to take because I didn't like math. And in high school, when they said I didn't have to take science my senior year, I didn't. I was like, cool. If I don't have to do it, I don't want to do it. You know, I don't like this. Uh, So I kind of always gravitated towards what was easy in a way academically because it came easy to me. And I was pushing myself on the physical side with sports and swimming. Uh, And I did Boy Scouts. I got my Eagle Scout. So I was like working, focusing on that stuff because school was just simple. And I did like whatever I had to do just to get out of there. Uh, And so in college, I, I got a degree in corporate communications And one of the only real differences between a corporate communications degree and a regular business administration degree was in corporate comm. I only had to take one accounting class and in business, I would have had to take two. So I majored in corporate comm, minored in business and kind of picked my, the classes that I wanted. Uh, So no, I never really had a dream thing. I just always been good at this, being good at talking to people, relatively creative, good at writing. And so I have uh, my day jobs in marketing. So I have a career in marketing. Uh, it's fun. And uh, I just kind of stumbled into it. It wasn't anything one day I dreamt of being a marketer. When you were joining or wanting to be an Eagle Scout and a Boy Scout, what brought you to do that? And what's the biggest thing you learned about yourself through that journey? Yeah, so my parents put me in it. Uh, I was a tiger cub, right? So that's where you started, Cub Scouts. I think it was like kindergarten. And so it was just sort of always there from kindergarten through senior year of high school. I was just always doing that. You make friends, right? And so you just kind of stay with that friend group and you get to do cool stuff. The older you get, really cool camping trips, uh, cool experiences that it was just fun to do. Uh, Going back to my grandfather that I'm named after, he was in scouts. I think that's probably why my parents put me in it. 
because uh, he would talk about it. But he only made it to the rank of Life Scout, which is the rank before Eagle Scout. And then he quit. And so he would always say he made it to life and then life took over. He was one of 12 kids. He had to drop out of college, out of high school, rather, dropped out of high school to go to work to put food on the table. So he can he didn't have the luxury of finishing his Eagle Scout, right, and, and doing fun camping trips. And so that was in the back of my brain, too, hearing him tell the stories. And that was one of his few regrets in life is he wished he took it all the way. And so I had the opportunity to do so, and I did. Uh, and that was a big motivator for me to be the first in my family to do that, but also kind of do it for him in a way. So it was cool to be able to see him on my Eagle Scout ceremony. I think he was more excited than I was that it happened. As you were in college, did you kind of figure out what path you were wanting to go as maybe knowing what was post-college? Or did you find a new passion that brought you in a completely different direction? No, it was, yeah, it wasn't ever like a big revelation, right? It was like a slow build. So in college, I swam. So I was right in that friend group of swimmers around that group of people. And then I joined a fraternity because all the swimmers were in the fraternity that I joined. So I ended up taking a lot of leadership positions in the fraternity. I was the guy, the head of recruitment. I was head of risk management. I ended up being the president my senior year. Uh, and so that was a really cool experience because being president of a fraternity, especially at a small school where I went, there was only 1,400 kids in my school. It's not like what you think of with Animal House. Uh, it was more focused on like community service and on-campus events. And we definitely threw some awesome parties and had a lot of fun, but that wasn't the main like part of the experience. So it was like running a nonprofit organization, you know, in college, which was a really cool experience for someone in communications and business. Uh, and what, that's what I want to do in my career. So that was, that was a learning experience and helped reinforce like, hey, I'm pretty good at this. You know, yeah, parties weren't the only thing, but when it came to promoting parties and marketing the parties to get the word out, like I did a great job. <laughs> we filled the party, right? Uh, and so I learned like, like I always had an inkling, like, hey, I like this stuff. It's fun doing things with the fraternity, whether it was advertising recruitment to get members in, which is kind of like sales in a way, or, you know, advertising a, a philanthropic events and getting donations again, kind of like sales and you know, all the handling of the money and things, you're running a little business. And so it was a cool little case study that showed me I could do it. Uh, I had some internships in college that were in marketing and it just, I did okay. So I just kept doing it um, and had fun. I was system manager of the radio station. So then no surprise, I'm talking on a microphone again, you know? So I just experimented with a lot that I thought I was interested in, thought I'd be good at. And it turned out I, I was, wasn't half bad. And so I just stuck with it and that was that. But I, yeah, I never really had some like, lightning struck moment where it was like, this is what I'm meant to do. Right. It was just a lot of little experiences that reinforced an idea I had. I think college is the perfect timing to try different things. As you mentioned, where you were in a fraternity as myself, I joined one also. And I was being able to try all these different things as I was a philanthropy chair for multiple years. And I was doing corporate sponsorships, marketing, social media, apparel, yeah. the money, putting an event together and I just saw this like different atmosphere that I'm like I could see myself doing this so I kind of went in a different direction as I was a sports management major but I knew everything could click together but then as I got out of college I'm not even doing any of that I kind of went in the I'm in marketing but I'm in a completely different industry sure. but it kind of just shows that 
I think joining Greek Life in a way is a resume builder. It sh- can, companies can see all these different things that you've done and they know how big of a scale it is. It's not just this tiny little project. It's you're making a huge impact in that. Oh, 100%. Cool. I mean, how many entry level jobs want three years experience, right? Yeah. You can go put down a resume, you know, okay, yeah, maybe I haven't had a sales gig before, but I was recruitment chair and we brought in X amount of people. Right. And we increased the number X amount of percent from the year before I raised X amount of dollars or whatever it might be. You at least show that you have some experience putting that together. So, yeah. Hey, what fraternity was it in? See if we're bros. I was Phi Delta Theta. Okay. No, not me. I was a Lambda Chi Alpha. Yeah, we didn't have that one. Our high school was small. We only had like three fraternities. Yeah, same. And so you basically had to really show the other kids because we were mostly an international school and most of the people are here on scholarships with sports so it's like how do you bring them to what we're doing and it challenged us it was again a rise of the challenge and we were able to yeah. do it and I don't regret anything that I did because it was the best experience ever yeah totally so after college what was next for you what were you doing what job were you doing yeah, so I uh, I got an internship when I was a sophomore in college. You know, again, sort of the athlete in me, right? Like just go for stuff, right? So I, my job on campus was covering campus events for the, uh, the college magazine. And so I was covering a guy who's an alumni of the college, came back to speak about his company. And so I had to write a story about him. I loved everything he had to say. So I sent him the story. And my resume at the same time and said, Hey, here's the story. Nice meeting you. Here's my resume. Do you have any internship opportunities? And so at 19, I moved out of, I moved from away from home, got a little short-term uh, lease for the summer and worked full-time. It's like not, you could call it an internship. It was a full-time job over the summer, uh, three and a half months at this company. And then I worked for my dorm room junior year, then back in the summer, then for my dorm room senior year. And so by the time, I graduated. I'd already been at this company for two years and I just slipped right into a marketing assistant position and did absolutely everything. It was a large company, but small marketing department. So it was all things sales support, you know, at the time. So I graduated in 2012, you know, I was starting all the social media accounts for the company. They didn't have Facebook. They didn't have Twitter. They didn't have Instagram or Pinterest or any stuff. I was doing all that stuff from scratch back in the glory days where you could post organically and reach thousands of people. Right. So I was doing a lot of inbound marketing and writing blogs and things like that. And it was the main business was housing. So it was a housing manufacturer. They built housing component parts that would be shipped to the job site. And then the house would be assembled, um, which is pretty cool. And then the same company owned a cabinet company, building products company, a transportation company. They managed an airport. So I was doing marketing for a flight school, I actually have sold a few airplanes, which is an interesting experience too. Um, and then we started a brewery while I was there. We started a brewery, restaurant, and an event facility. So it was really neat, great first job out of college because I got such a wide amount of experience in a bunch of different industries and was able to rise through the ranks so that I was made director of marketing when I was 24, 25, I think, of a $100 million group of companies. No way if I moved to the big city, I'd still be like the coffee runner at that age. Right. So I got a lot of great experience, moved up the ladder, was marketing director for a few of the years, and then was general manager over the main housing division for another three years. 
uh, running a $50 million business reporting directly to the CEO. Uh, and then I left that about two years ago. And now I'm working for a marketing agency. And I've sort of done everything I could do with that company at a very young age. I wanted to spread my wings and see what else was out there before it's too late. And I wake up and 30 years have gone by and I'm still there, right? Uh, so now I'm the director of digital marketing for a marketing agency. And uh, that's a whole, whole wild world in the agency space. If you're a marketer, I don't know if you're in an agency, but very fast paced, all sorts of different clients. Uh, but it's fun. It, it keeps every day, uh, every day different. Did you feel that you were ready to take on a bigger role at a young age or did it ever get overwhelming and mentally it was a tough challenge? Uh, yeah, I thought I was ready. Uh, I wanted it. I certainly wanted the, the increase in pay that came with it, right? As much as you grow up hearing, don't chase the money, chase the dream, all that hunky-dory stuff. Uh, money is cool, man. Money pays the bills. Money pays off student loans. Money buys houses. Money buys diapers. You know, I have two kids. So I got a little blinded by the money and uh, my ambition got me a little bit ahead of myself. And so it was hard. It was very hard. It was very different to go from being the marketing guy to being somebody running the entire business unit, uh, overseeing accounting, engineering, purchasing, sales, marketing, manufacturing, right? So I learned a lot. I also didn't know what I was doing a lot and stressed a lot. Uh, and so it was rough. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I was, I swam all through college. When I graduated, I started running. I ran a couple half marathons, very, very active. But then I started putting more and more time toward work and less and less time towards, you know, keeping myself in shape. So it was like a perfect storm for me. I was stressed out. I was overworked. I was under-exercising, overeating, overindulging in alcohol, right? And definitely hit a moment, hit a low point, started having some panic attacks, uh, severe anxiety, and just had a really like rock bottom moment where I was like looking in the mirror, like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> like, how did I get here? This isn't fun. And that's part of why I left. Uh, just realizing that, you know, like you said, do you ever have this like, aha, where you know what you want to do? That was my aha where I was like, this is what I don't want to do. Like I got out of marketing to do this and I need to get back to what I like because uh, I'm not, I'm not liking this. So yeah, it's not easy for sure. I, I hats off to everybody that runs a business, owns their own business. It's very difficult. You have to love it because if you don't love it, it's a whole lot of BS and a lot of stress that is, is not worth it. Uh, it's absolutely not worth it. Going through that downward spiral, were you able to reach out to anybody that could help you or was anybody there to be that support system or were you doing it all alone? At first, definitely alone because I didn't want to admit it to myself, right? I didn't want to feel like I was punking out, right? To that, that anecdote from the coach, right? Like I was giving up, like I was admitting I couldn't do it. I was just going to, you know, hunker down, muscle through and figure it out. But uh, eventually, yeah, my wife for sure always been a great support system for me. So I was talked about it with her a lot. Uh, and then I'd started the, my podcast during all of this. And so I started to use that as an outlet where I was interviewing people like we are now doing different things, doing things I want to do, doing things I wish I could do. This was before I'd written a book or given a Ted talk, right? So I'm talking to the people who were doing these things, picking their brains, learning from them, um, getting their advice and then putting their advice, you know, into my daily life. So I definitely use the podcast as almost like therapy. Like I was creating this content for everybody else, but it was like a therapy session for me. And it was very helpful. And then I joined a, an online mastermind community focused on personal growth and development. And that gave me some frameworks 
and a, you know, accountability system, you know, me, me showing up every week saying, I don't like what I'm doing and here are the steps I'm taking. And then people call me out if I wasn't taking action, right? There's no hiding anymore. Uh, and that really helped push me over the edge and, you know, get me to where I am today. Going through the anxiety overindulging in eating and alcohol, did it ever affect your work? And did anyone know that you worked with that you were going through something at that time? No, I mean, I got very good at uh, uh, acting on a role, right? You walk through the, the doors at work and you become the job. You are on stage and you can, nobody would know, would have known anything. And then when I left, everybody was shocked because nobody knew anything. Nobody had any idea, right? Uh, and that made it worse though, because then you're like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, right? You're living these, this double life and that's not good. Uh, so yeah, it was, yeah, I was, the worst, the bad part about that, it didn't affect work. It was affecting my life. Like personal life was suffering, work wasn't. And uh, that's not the right balance of priorities for sure. Did it make it tough to not be able to express to any of your coworkers or did you not have that relationship where you could be up in front and honest with them? I was the boss. I mean, I was running the company. So I, I, I couldn't, you know, it's not like you have like that water cooler friend, right? Where you kind of like bitch and moan about work. It's like, they all worked for me. I never walked around saying you work for me, but that's what it was, right? These are people that ultimately I was in charge of hiring and firing. And so if I'm walking around as a sob story, that, that just, that impacts my ability to be effective in my job. So I could go up the ladder, which would be to the CEO. And I felt like I couldn't go to him and say like, I hate this because I was worried about losing my job. All right. Uh, so yeah, it was rough. Definitely the old rock and hard place. For sure. How long after you left that agency did it take for you to kind of get on a positive track to feeling better and feeling more confident in what you were doing? Yeah, it was, I mean, instant. Once I made the decision that like enough was enough and I'm getting out of this and leaving, it was very much like I flipped the switch. Just like gave myself permission to kind of like shrug it all off and like let that go. And it was very freeing. And I just got immediately into doing stuff that like fueled me creatively and stuff I wanted to do. So like I gave my two weeks notice and I started writing the book that I published last year. Right. And so, and then I took a trip. um, I took a trip to Minneapolis to meet people that I met on podcasting randomly. I've interviewed like a dozen people in Minnesota. Like it just happened. Like they all knew each other. And so like I had this whole like group in Minneapolis, I never met before. And so I was like, well, I have time off in between jobs. Like I'm coming out to meet everybody and just flew solo across the country. I'd never done that before. Spent a week in a city that I'd never been, was writing my book, going to coffee shops, hanging out, just kind of like, I was like, eat, pray, love in it. Right. It was very much just reconnecting with me, which was great. Uh, and then started the, started the job. And I was like, I just got to decide. It's like, when you go away to college, you get to say, you're going to be this new person, right? No, nobody here knows me from high school. Like that, I could just leave all that stuff and be who I'd like to be from day one. And so I took the opportunity to do that. I think that brings up a great point with people, even in college and kind of high school, they kind of sometimes put on this facade and like how they want people to see them. And I think it makes it harder for people to become friends with them because are they that real person? And I think a lot of times with my friends, I've had to give up friends because they don't want to be friends with me for who I am as a person. And I I think when you also mentioned that, that 
you're you are instantly feeling better. A lot of times when people take that burden off their shoulders, they kind of feel the weight go away, and now they feel free in the from the situation that they're going through. And I think for people listening to this interview, they definitely need to do that if they are going through that situation because everything will get better if you take that stress, that anxiety out of your life. And we always want you to feel great about what you're doing and not have to worry about the pain. Yeah. And it's amazing. Um, when you start, you gotta take care of yourself physically too, right? I started working out again. Uh, you know, I stopped drinking. I haven't drank in a year and a half. When I stopped drinking beer, that was the only thing I changed. I lost 40 pounds. Wow. Just not drinking beer. So that tells you how much beer I was drinking to deal, to deal with the stress, right? So I, I don't drink anymore. I work out every day again. And, you know, I drink two gallons of water a day. You know, it's just like when you put yourself first and take care of your body, the mind end, ends up following. You just feel better. You're not like carrying the burden of your body around, just kind of like schlepping through your day. Uh, you, you just, you're way more in control of everything. And then it's just, it, it feeds into everything everything i think that was a big thing too like you felt better you're i was excited mentally it felt better and then like just having the physical take more of a lead for me has been a big game changer too and helped me stick with it and you know maintain that feeling as we mentioned earlier you are a podcast host talk about what your show is about and what is the mission that you are wanting the listeners to get out of it sure so started the show in 2018 and it's called relish the journey and uh, the subtitle, Life in Three Words. I ask every guest to describe their life in three words, which is kind of like my, my shtick. It was easy to sum it all up. And then I take those three words and make it the name of the episode. Um, and so I started this without any single, with, with no plan. It was just like a whim, really, like listening to a bunch of podcasts. Thought to myself, huh, that can't be that hard, right? Let me, let me figure this out. And I had a really good friend who had this mantra. He would always kind of, yell relish the journey i was like that's cool it's vague enough where i can still figure out what does this mean uh talk to people about their journey kind of like we're doing right now uh and then tie it into something and so eventually at one point i made the statement that i was on a mission to interview the world uh which immediately got crap for from people because everyone loves to remind me that that's not possible <laughs> but again rise to the challenge right alex right it, to me throwing that big statement out there was, you know, yeah, I'll never interview the world, but that means I can also never stop. Like I've got to keep going. There's always gonna be somebody else I can talk to. So I really, I wanted to start out interviewing people that like average Joe's, like everybody's got a journey that they're on, but we don't always stop to think about it, to reflect on it, to relish it. And so just chatting with people from all walks of life about who they are, what they're doing, how they got there and uh, put it out. And then it really evolved. Over time, it started with close friends, family, and then someone so would say, you got to talk to this guy, this guy. I got more confident in my abilities and would start to reach out to people through cold emails or cold DMs. So I've had the ability to talk to people who have been on Shark Tank, who have won the TV show Chopped, you know, best-selling authors, you know, all sorts of TED Talk type people, right? Just really cool folks uh, just from reaching out and making the ask. And in 2020, Relish the Journey was named a top 15 podcast of 2020 by New York Weekly. Wow. Uh, so it took three years of me just kind of like toiling away and nobody taking notice and uh, getting some, uh, you know, some notice. And so right now it's kind of on autopilot. I just had 
my second kid. So I've got a three-year-old and a one-month-old. And so the current season, if people listen to this and check it out, is like a best of where I take the most popular episodes from the first two, 200 episodes. Uh, so I'm over 200 now. Uh, of Most popular, my favorite, or like what I think are the most underrated ones that I thought were great conversations, but just sort of the numbers weren't there. I re-released some old audio, some updated commentary. Uh, and so that's running through May. And then uh, I've got some ideas. I'm going to, I'm going to tweak it come May, what it is. I'm going to change it up a little bit and I'm starting a new show that I'm going to call unseen work. Cause that was the name of my Ted talk and my book unseen work, where that's going to be more of my interview show talk with people very similarly about their journeys, but about, you know, if you're seen for X, you are the, best-selling author you are the chopped champion great we know that tell me what we don't know tell me what's unseen what was the work that it took you to get there and really focus on that stuff instead of just the same thing because after 200 episodes man i gotta tell you i'm tired of just i'm tired of having the same conversation with people in relative journey after doing it for a while and so i needed to do this to switch it up to keep it exciting for me I've had that same comment made to me about, well, how many different journeys are going to be different? And I go, everyone you meet has something different. Um, oh, yeah. I know there's a few guests that I have. We are both going through the same situation, but our journey and paths are different that we're able to share. And I think that's what's great about our shows is everyone has a story. And I think everyone should be given that opportunity to share it because you never know who might be listening and what they can get out of that story. For sure. You mentioned that doing the podcast was kind of like a therapy session for you. Was it easy to be able to talk to someone about things that you were going through with them that you never have talked to before? Or was it hard to be able to express those things? Uh, at first it was hard, right? I mean, man, when I first started podcasting, uh, going back to my friend beer, right? I used to have to have a couple of drinks before a podcast. I'd be so nervous, you know, thinking like the whole world's going to hear this. Oh my God. Uh, so yeah, it's definitely, it's a learned skill, right? The more you do it, the better you get at it. Uh, but then eventually, no, it's once I got enough positive feedback from folks, you know, people that would say, wow, I didn't realize that was happening. Or when you said this, it did this for me. It meant this to me. It helped me through this. Uh, it, it wasn't about me anymore. You know, I, I started to really focus on what it could do for other people. And then that made it very easy just to be very transparent, put it out there because I knew that, you know, somewhere out there, somebody like there's a version of me for two years ago out there right now in somebody else that needs to hear what I have to say, know what I've learned the hard way. Uh, Cause I would have needed to hear it back then. Right. And so I can help be that person. And then that, that makes it very easy just to, where, put it all out there, man. Just, and then, you know, no, it is what it is. It's, there's nothing to be ashamed of. I, I really don't get embarrassed about anything anymore. Uh, I don't worry about it. I just, I'm just me. And uh, it's easier that way, you know, no fronts or facades. Like we talked about, it's just uh, one version of me and everybody gets it. How did the opportunity to do Ted talks come about? I love this question because people put Ted talks on a pedestal. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's really cool. I'm very proud of the fact that I was able to do it. It's a great thing on my resume. Not everybody can say they've done it. A lot of people wish they could say they did it, right? But all you have to do to get a TEDx talk is apply for a TEDx talk, right? Not all you have to do. That's how it starts. You can go to TEDx, the website, 
and search for a local event near you. Because if people don't know this, there's the main TED event, like TED Global. And that's where you need to be invited, right? That's like the, the, the huge event. But there's all sorts of local TEDx events all over the country. And you can apply to speak. And so they're all independently run. The application process is going to be different because they're independently run. But for me, what I did is I found the event near me. It was about an hour away. They had an application process that was an online Google form, some basic demographic info, my idea for the talk. I had to write an outline, sort of like pitch the idea to them in written form. And then they narrowed down those entries to people they invited to give a five-minute version of the talk in front of a panel of about eight judges. And then the judges, you know, you're up on stage, give your talk. The judges ask you a bunch of questions about the talk, about what you know about Ted, why you want to give a speech, all that kind of, you know, like a Miss America pageant type stuff. <laughs> and then from there, I was selected to be one of the speakers. You know, I have a few hundred people that applied. I think there were like 10 of us that were chosen. And I had to write and memorize then about a 15-minute version of that speech. And that was, man, talk about a challenge to rise to. I've given speeches before. I had never given 15 minutes completely from memory. Yeah, that's a long, that's a long time. And so like just that whole process of how, how to do that. And then on top of it, COVID happening. So the event was supposed to be the first week in April. We all know what happened in March of 2020. And so I was working for like eight months leading up to this April 2020 date, memorizing, just killing myself, memorizing this thing. And then it gets postponed indefinitely. We have no idea when the event's going to happen. And it, like that just first pissed me off because I was like, it was so close. I was just mad. And then it was just like depressing. You know, it's like, what's going to happen? And eventually it happened in October, six months later. Uh, so it was like over a year of prepping for this event. I finally got to give the talk, which is awesome. It was a really cool experience. We, you know, we did it in person, everybody socially distanced. We had to wear masks and, and until it was our time to speak. And it was pulled it off a safe event, which is cool. Uh, but it was a really cool experience, but it all starts with, you got to go for it, right? Like anything in life, if you want to give a TEDx talk or even the big one of the TED stage, you got, you got to put yourself out there and apply and, and become the person that gives TED talks. When you were writing that speech, were you trying to think of something that you haven't been able to share through your podcast, but that could be something special for the people that were listening at that event? Yeah, I didn't think of it in that exact way. Uh, but for me, the idea of it happened very organically. The whole process happened very quickly, too. It's an interesting story. So I had the podcast, Relative Journey, and I was on one of those mastermind calls I was talking to you about and in a group of people. And somebody made the comment to me about whether or not I had thought of my podcast as qualitative research for a book, you know, like Tim Ferriss approach, right? He did a podcast. I wrote a book, very successful. I had never thought of doing that until this person said it to me. And then I couldn't get it out of my brain. I was like, it just kept following me around. And so I went back and started listening to podcast episodes and taking notes, looking for themes, like you said, I've talked to people from all, like all crazy walks of life, done really cool things. And so I'm listening to all these different types of stories, trying to find the, the threads that are common through everybody that I could put into a book somehow. And I ended up on this idea of unseen work. Everybody that I talked to that was super, super famous, I could talk to them about like what's in their actual book or what it was like to win a TV show. But the most interesting story was 
what happened leading up to that point, the stuff that nobody would ever see. You see them on TV. You don't see what it took to get them on TV. And I just first started with this one line. You have to do the unseen work so that when you are seen, you have something to show for it. And that was like my one sentence that like lived on the top of a note in my phone for a while. Uh, so started that all this process is going on. Right. And then I'm a big Ted talk, listener, washer. Uh, and I started thinking, be cool to do one of these events like i didn't think there was one near me so i was just got very curious kind of like on one day googling what would it take to start one i had no idea and it was just kind of like a random thought so i started to research to see what it what it actually takes and while i'm just kind of on a whim researching i find like there actually is an event near me and i find that the deadline is like tomorrow at the time like the next day for speakers and so without really putting much thought into it i had this idea that i was starting to outline in the book it fit the theme of the event and I just applied to it. And cause I was curious how the process was hit submit. And then didn't think about it again until a few weeks later. And I heard, I got selected to audition and you know, off we went. So it was really, I was, the book came first and then the Ted talk, even though I gave the Ted talk first and then published the book, but the book process was already in motion and that helped inform everything for the Ted talk. When you were writing that book, you mentioned how you were ta- finding those common threads and those themes. When you're writing it, is it your version or your thoughts about those themes? Or were you using the words and those paragraphs that your guests were speaking and just incorporating into the book? Yeah, so uh, what I did, a little bit of both, right? So the book highlights their like, different stories. I think there's like six or nine total people that are featured in the book from the podcast. And so I like telling stories, I like painting like visuals. And so each of their sections starts off with a little bit of a narrative, like short story that I stitched together from stories they share, like painting the picture of who this person is, talking about what they're seen for, what did they do? <clears throat> and then I break it down after like with my commentary of how it fits into unseen work. I have three different types of unseen work in the book. Uh, so I talk about certain people fit in a specific type, like that kind of stuff. So it wasn't just me transcribing their interview it was their story like who they are and what i could glean from that interview and then my take on like using them as an example of this idea i had how they fit in and our proof of this framework i was creating uh, after that little narrative during this time since you have left that agency how have you been personally through all the different things that you've been doing Man, I've been busy. <laughs> uh, I, like, I was so busy, I didn't really have time to process a lot of what was happening. You know, it was all very bang, 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 right in a row. Uh, stuff was hitting with the podcast. Like, I got named to that list for New York Weekly. And then, like, a month later, I'm giving the TED Talk. Then a month later, I'm writing the book. I'm writing the book the whole time. I'm rehearsing this TED Talk, which was every single day, two and three times a day, just, like, feeling like I'm crazy talking to myself, like reciting these words over and over, you know? So I like lived it. I was in this like bubble of my own idea for a while that it just sort of consumed me. And it was great to then like share it with the world. And uh, I was like too busy to like really process it or think of it or like too busy to even be stressed. It was just like, it had to get done. So I was just compartmentalizing and and executing. Uh, And now since then, you know, I published the book in October. And then in December, my son was born and here we are in February. So 
after has been quite a blur with everything going on with COVID, getting ready to have a kid, a uh, second kid, while I have another toddler running around is wild. And now like the sleep deprivation of the, a new baby is, is always fun. Uh, so I'm, I'm just like now processing my year of 2020, um, which is cool. And I'm, but, I, and so I'm getting ready to just go back into it. You know, I'm launching the podcast and live stream about the idea of unseen work to keep it going. And in my mind, I'm already writing the second book. Like I've already got the idea that I'm going to use this new podcast for, I'm going to take my model because it worked. And I have in the back of my head, like the type of questions I need to ask this group of people for the research I need to do for the next thing I want to, I think I have a book on and I'm just going to do that a few times uh, until it's not fun anymore. And then I'll do something else. Uh, Cause that's the way I operate. Like I do this cause it's fun. It's a hobby. I've got a day job that pays the bills. I'm not trying to make the podcast, you know, you know, pay my heating bill. Right. It's, it's fun. It's like my golf, you know, it's a hobby and I'll, I'll do it until it's not fun anymore. And then I'll do something else. But uh, while it's fun, I'm just going to, you know, go all in. See, that's the mindset I have is I have a day job, but this is something that came out of nowhere and I enjoy doing it. And yeah. as much as there's times that it feels like I have two full-time jobs, this makes me happy and it's not stressful. And I get to talk to so many people, as you mentioned, like talking to the whole world. Being the opportunity to network and connect with people in every continent, it's just an amazing feeling that we all have that rise of a challenge. Looking back at your time when you were at the agency and how you were being overworked and how it affected a lot of things that were going on personally, do you ever worry that you're doing a lot now that it maybe could go back to that cycle again? Or have you been able to do professionally make it healthy, but personally have a healthy relationship with the people around you. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's in the back of my mind. I wouldn't say I'm worried about it. I've made that commitment to myself like out loud and in my head constantly that I'm not going to let it get that bad again because that that was not fun. Uh, I think the difference, like you said, it can feel like you have two jobs, but it's, it's different. So it goes back to what I said. I have respect for people that run their own businesses and own their own businesses they love it. And so they do it. It's different being busy doing something that you are super passionate about and love and get something out of like you're putting your time into it, but you're getting way more out of it. That's different than when you feel like you're putting everything into it and getting nothing back. It just, it's draining the life force from you. Right. So I'm not in a life force draining mode right now. You know, I've got my day job, which I enjoy and this I enjoy too. Right. And this helps refuel me for the day job. And oddly enough, you know, podcasting is a skill as a marketer, right? It started as this whim thing. And now I've got my shows, but now also for my day job, I've got a podcast for my company. Now my company is producing podcasts for our clients that I'm doing. So it went from this thing that was just whatever to now this marketable skill that I've taught myself that people pay for that I get to even do it in my day job now. And so it's, uh, it's just completely different. So I think about it, like I, I'm, I'm aware of it, like uh, that it's could always happen again, but I don't worry about it. Cause I'm just, you know, convinced I'm not going to let it happen again. Is there anything that you have changed on your path that you've been on? Absolutely not. No, I'm, I'm, I'm not a regrets guy. Uh, 
I mean, everything that happened led me here, right? It's like you, you can't go back and cherry pick the cool stuff because you have no idea what ripple effect that would have in the future, right? There's a reason why in every time travel movie, they talk about not messing with the past, right? Uh, so no, I wouldn't change anything. Uh, certainly there are things do I wish I could have done differently in the moment? Like I'm not super proud of, of course, we all have those things, but ultimately if I had the power to change it, I wouldn't because I like where I'm at now and it all had to happen to get me here. I think it's all about growing experience. So everything happens for a reason. You go through the certain things and you learn more about yourself and what you are going through. And you always become the greatest version of yourself and become a better person each step of the way. Yeah, for sure. Talk about, you kind of mentioned it throughout, but what does that future look like for you? What are you hoping to accomplish? Have you set any goals for the next few years that you're trying to reach? Uh, it's funny. <clears throat> for I'm a guy that's accomplished a lot of things, uh, and I understand the value of goals. Uh, I, I've coach, I coach people. I have like account, I'm an accountability coach, and, and so I talk to my clients about goals. I don't have those big long-term goals. Like whenever somebody asks me like where I see myself in five years or 20 years, I always just laugh and say alive. <laughs> like I don't, but that, that's a good one. You know, I'm gonna be alive. I, I just believe, I believe in the present moment and the power of the present moment when it comes to this stuff, right? Like I'm going to do conversations like this with cool guys like you and gals out there. I'm going to create my own stuff and I'm just going to take those baby steps. Those, those little things that I like doing. And then eventually they amount to things that I could never put down on paper as a goal. Five years earlier, if you had told me I was going to be a TED talker, a published author, uh, a coach, a, a nationally recognized podcaster, I'd say, get the hell out of here. There's no way. I just couldn't fathom that. And so I feel like in some ways, goals can be limiting that way because you're only really creating a goal around what you can comprehend right now. And there's so much more that's possible an infinite amount of things is possible. So if I just focus on intentions on working my ass off and showing up consistently with, uh, you know, the best of intentions for myself and those around me and then great things happen. So the future hopefully looks awesome. And it's my job today to just keep doing what I'm doing and showing up on my head down, putting the work in, uh, having fun. And that awesome future will, will arrive one day. For someone that's listening to this interview based on your journey and experience, what tips or advice would you give someone to overcome obstacles, accomplish their goals, and rise to the challenge? Uh, so I'd say most obstacles are self-imposed uh, and not even re real, right? It's uh, We fabricate them in our minds. We, we blow up, could have, should, could have, should, could, could be, would be, should be, like could have, should have, would have. Got me tongue tied here, Alex. We uh, we make that up, right? So my advice, really, for all of that stuff, is just you got to get out of your own way and just start. Again, if I'd started, if I'd waited till I had the perfect, well thought out business plan for this podcast, and my interviewing skills were polished, and I knew how to edit everything and promote, like I never would have started a podcast. So many people spend so much time learning about things when they should be spending time just doing that thing they want to learn about. Right. Uh, I, good, good example. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe a bad example, but the stock market, right. I probably spent two or three years of my life reading every book I could find about investing without investing a dollar. 
you know, in the past year and a half, I've been investing in the stock market. And all I keep thinking about is, man, if I just started this three years ago, my account would be even bigger. Would I have made some goof up? Sure. But I would have accelerated my learning process because you can read about what somebody else has done, or you can actually learn from what you're actually doing. And that's what I love about podcasting is you can read every self-help book. You can listen to somebody else's podcast, but the act of creating content and having that firsthand conversation with somebody about those topics, you get way more out of it. So if you want to overcome the obstacles, you want to rise to the challenge, you want to rise to the challenge. You got to get your ass up. You got to get off the couch. You got to get out of bed. You got to get on your own two feet. You got to rise up and then, you know, jump over that challenge. And the, once you start, you get the momentum and you can, you can do something small every single day. Uh, so that's what I'd say too, right? Is don't try to go from zero to a hundred podcast episodes in a year or whatever that thing is, right? Just commit to doing a small action every single day. What's your 1%? If you can get 1% better every day, then you're at 365% better at the end of the year, right? So instead of taking off big bites that aren't sustainable, just start with those small things that can build and build and build. Uh, and then there's a compounding effect that happens over time and you're basically become unstoppable because you, you end up becoming the person then that, you know, you, you like challenges versus getting scared of them. Right. So just start, you just got to start, just do it. Whatever it is, whatever you're thinking about doing it, just do it. Kind of go back to what we talked about at the beginning. Don't punk out. Yeah. Don't punk out. Put that on a neon sign. Just have it hanging up somewhere. Just have it on a wall. I already got this one. Somebody, uh, I worked with an artist and this is that quote from the book that started the book. The, you got to do the unseen work so that when you are seen, you have something to show for it. So I got that one. I'll have to get Don't Punk Out over here. <laughs> well, Miles, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge. You're inspiring everyone with your journey and we're excited to see what the future looks like for you. Thanks, man. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity to come on and chat about it. It was fun. Thanks for having me. Tune in next time to hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow and subscribe on all major audio platforms and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel to see the full-length episode and video format. What path will you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.